So good to be with you this morning. So good. You know, two weeks ago, it's Christmas. We're here, we, we take off in our car, and uh, we had been planning to go uh, north through South Dakota to Montana. That's the fastest way there. Uh, but there was a ginormous uh, snowstorm heading right for South Dakota. So we decide that uh, we're going to go south through Nebraska. Uh, it's much more scenic there. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we, we hit 80 and we got some rain, but everything's good. And then eventually it's, you know, like 45, 50 degrees, sunny, and we're like, yes, this is great. And then somewhere, somewhere along the line close to Wyoming, right, like, I don't know, this cataclysmic storm decides to like envelop us. It was like the perfect storm. We're driving into it. There's snow everywhere. Uh, and eventually, like, uh, there's an emergency sign on the interstate. Don't, don't go this way. You have to go an alternate route. And, and then I'm like, uh, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Eh, that's some other, you know. So we keep driving, and we get to the point where there's two state highway uh, plow trucks on the road pointing, you know, like you have to get off right now. So we get off the highway, and I have no idea where we are or where we're going. I thought I was going to stay on the interstate, so I'm like, you know, thank goodness for Google Maps, right, everybody? Google Maps, hey, where? And so all these trucks start pulling off. I'm like, follow them. They are heading to the interstate. So, so we just start following. And we end up going through like these little towns and way out in the country. And the snow is just blowing 100 miles an hour. And we're like, I don't see the road, but I think I can see the truck. So hopefully he's not. And we're driving through this little town. And we can see the emergency lights uh, uh, from the distance uh, as to why the interstate was closed or some crazy accident, and we're, we're heading back out. And as we're going through this town, here comes the emergency personnel back to the fire station and, and the police station there in this little town. And my brother-in-law, Corey, who's sitting in the passenger seat with me, he, he just makes this, this little comment. He says, man, I am so glad I am so glad that there are people who are willing to go out in these kind of conditions to help others. And I thought, man, am I glad too. Because if I end up in a snowdrift, if I'm stuck in a ditch somewhere, I want to be able to call knowing that someone's going to come out in the midst of chaos, maybe, maybe join me in a position that I never should have been in in the first place. I am so glad that there are people that are willing to go out in the chaos. Aren't you? I am so glad for that. This morning, we, we're going to look at this, this life of Abraham, but what we notice, what we notice far more than the life of Abraham is the promises and purposes and plans of God. 
that God is a God uh, like emergency personnel who, are will, who is willing consistently to go out into the human condition and say, I am willing to join you where you are. I'm going to go into the chaos where you are and I'm going to find you there. And my presence is going to be real with you there. We have a God. We serve a God who has promises, who is faithful in His promises, and He is willing, ready, and able uh, to join Join us in the muck, in the mire, in the chaos of our life. This series that we're in is this hashtag the Bible series. Uh, This series is really all about joining God, about seeing who God is, about His promises and His plans, and recognizing uh, that God desires over and over again throughout Scripture uh, to consistently come and restore His people to Himself. Uh, That God wants to go out wherever it is that we happen to be and walk alongside of us. Uh, That God will go to extreme measures to let us know about His plan. And that His plan is with us. Last week you heard about Adam. And Adam had it all. Adam and Eve were there in the garden. They had everything. And, and God said, don't, don't eat this. And of course, they did eat it. And, and there was sin and, and spiritual death. They were, they were cast away from the garden. And things, quite frankly, didn't get better. There they are. They're outside of the garden. They have kids. And maybe you recognize these names. Cain and Abel. The first sons, the first brothers, and they didn't just fight. In fact, Cain disables Abel. You can use that one. It's free. Cain murders Abel. And God comes and is like, what what are you doing? And eventually we find that in the whole of Scripture, like that mankind was, was so broken. They were in such a place of seeking only for themselves that God says, I have had enough. The wickedness has reached a point that they can no longer even see me. They can't recognize, they can't recognize me. That's it. I mean, we we get the feeling like God is is standing at at the board and he's saying, I'm going to wipe it clean. But he doesn't, he decides not to to destroy everything and everyone. He leaves the family. He leaves Noah and his family. uh, This man who is is predisposed to to listening to who God is. To having some sort of relationship with God. And he does what God wants. And and Noah and his family are saved from this cataclysmic flood that destroys everything else. And we think for a moment in the whole grand story of Scripture, maybe this time, maybe this time, everything's going to be better. Maybe this time we get it right. Maybe this time, uh, as people begin to populate the earth once again, maybe this time uh, there will be stories told about who God is and His, His grand plan for us. Maybe we'll get it right. But just a page, just a page in our Bibles after uh, we hear about God saving Noah and his family from this cataclysmic flood that God used to wipe out the rest of the earth. 
we see that sin is still rooted in the human heart. That it's still there. That there's still this problem that we have to deal with. And, and we continue forward and it just seems like the wickedness of people is still there. Like we scrub and we scrub and we just can't get rid of it. And instead of trying to get rid of it anymore, we just live with it. In chapter 11 of Genesis, we, we find that the people are so wicked that they desire only for what is good for themselves. And so they, they decide that they're going to build this tower, this what the Bible calls a tower of Babel. Maybe because they... It's there that God confuses all the languages of men so that they can't communicate with each other to try and come up with some way to only serve themselves. I mean, we reach another point where it looks like what God is ready to do is stand back up at that whiteboard and just wipe everything off again, except this time maybe He doesn't save Noah and his family. Do you you get the picture? I mean, we get this sense like there's this this crazy cycle of wickedness that, that comes to a peak over and over again. And just, just in the story, just at that point in the story when we really expect that God is absolutely going to destroy everything, that He's going to take the universe that He's created and make it nothing again, at that point, we see that God steps into the story. That God in His grace initiates contact with His people. And He says, I've not yet given up on my plan. Genesis chapter 12. If you're in your pew Bibles in front of you, turn to page 8. Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to Abram. And reminds us that as we look at God's story, He is gracious and merciful and willing to join us where we are. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Herod and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. God is good at joining us. God is good at 
at taking all of the muck and the mire, uh, you notice that Abram just kind of appears out of nowhere in this, this whole narrative. We don't hear about him prior to chapter 11. Uh, it just comes right to chapter 12 and suddenly there's this guy and his name's Abram and God's like, yeah, you down there. Here's what I want you to do. God is exceptionally good at joining us even though we've been wicked. God is exceptionally gracious and intentionally coming into our neighborhood and walking with us. Perhaps there's some of you in this room who have experienced something of God's plan in your life as you have recognized His grace and His intention to walk with you. You see, faced with all of the sin of mankind, instead of wiping them out, God decides to take a different route and say, I am going to intentionally talk to one of them. I'm going to bless them instead of cursing them. I'm going to work through them. You see, in this whole cosmic spiritual economy, God is the one who is consistently being intentional. He's the one taking the first step. And so for perhaps where you are, Maybe you can point to those, your own places of, uh, of spiritual chaos. Maybe you recognize there's some sort of disharmony with, between you and God, that there's something in your life that's not quite right. And you can, you can stand assured uh, that God consistently desires to meet people, even in their sin, to take them where He wants them to go. God is gracious and He is merciful and He's intentional about saying to all of us, hey, I have a plan. I'm not giving up on you. Oh, I could wipe the floor with you. I could give up on you, but I'm not going to. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so God stands with Abraham and however it is that Abraham sees God or hears Him, He says, Abraham, I am going to make you a promise. I'm going to make you a deal that you just can't refuse. And time and time again, he comes back to Abraham and tries to reassure him of, of his promises to him. Hey, Abraham, remember that thing that I told you back in chapter 12? You remember when I said that I was going to bless you and I was going to make you a great nation and I was going to make your name great and that uh, you were going to bless others? That I was going to make sure that you were a blessing? Don't forget that, Abraham. And we see so clearly uh, that when God comes calling, we ought to be paying attention. Now you're saying, I, I don't know that I've heard any visions or, or, or had any dreams of God, but, but you're sitting here, aren't you? And you've had an opportunity to open up this, haven't you? And so we find that, that God has decided to reveal Himself in different ways today than He did yesterday. That He reveals Himself through His Word and through His people. 
And you and I have an opportunity to go, God is asking something of me. Now imagine being Abraham, right? How many of you, how many of you, when you're Abraham's age, are like, yeah, let's move. Let's grab the caravan. Let's take, let's take all the stuff that we've accumulated. You know, like there was a couple years ago. My mother and father-in-law, wonderful people. Howard and Doris Shimke. We went up to Harvey, North Dakota, where they had had their home for 30, 40, 50, 75, I don't know how many years. And we found things. You see, they, they were getting ready to move from Harvey, North Dakota to Kakana, Wisconsin. And that meant that they had to get rid of some things. And all of the kids and all of their spouses were there and we were trying to help mom and dad figure out how they were going to pick up and move from, from Harvey that they'd know their entire life uh, to, uh, to Kakana, Wisconsin. This, this was not an easy task. You can imagine the things they didn't want to get rid of. You can imagine the things as we said, ah, oh, that's not important. No! Can you imagine being Abraham? And God shows up on your door. And He says, I want you to take the next step that is so incredibly large. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the next step that God is asking us to take? You see, when God comes and He initiates the contact, He expects some kind of response. Abraham come, Abraham has God come to him even at an old age and he says, hey, I want you to go. Will you go? And Abraham, Abraham, God bless him, he does. So what's the scenario for you? Maybe it's in your area of business. And you just sense like, like God is asking you, God is prompting you to go in a different direction in your business practice, uh, in where your business is located. And, and, and you, are, you are having to, to come face to face with something that God is pushing you into. And you're resisting. And He's saying, I'm asking you to go. It's a new place. It's a new market. It's a new opportunity. And yet, it's absolutely scary. Maybe, maybe He's prompting you to go into students. Maybe He's asking you to go into a different place in the lunchroom. You see, there, there's this whole society in junior high and high school, and it is the cafeteria. And within the cafeteria, you will find groupings of people. And there are some groupings of people that other people don't want any part of. And yet, because God has, has come into your life and He has prompted you into a relationship, 
with Him. And you're learning about love and grace and His intentional effort with you. Maybe you begin to think, oh, is God pushing me? Is He asking me? Is He prompting me to love those over there in that portion of the cafeteria? Yes. And so will you take God's grace and His calling, His prompting, this merciful, gracious thing that God has handed to you and acting like He wants to restore a relationship with you, will you, will you begin to reverse the curse of Genesis and begin to restore relationships with others? You see, when God calls and He has initiated contact with us, we ought to be listening. But this isn't the only thing we see of Abraham. Oh, oh yes, Abraham, uh, the father of faith, uh, how wonderful! Uh, he does some wonderful things. In fact, in chapter 15, if you're following along, God makes this covenant with Abram. And eventually, uh, verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man, will not be, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look, look, Abraham, at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, God's promise to Abraham uh, seemed to hinge on this idea that he was going to have an heir. He was going to have a son uh, that would have other sons and, and he would be a nation and that nation would be great. And before long, oh, look at the stars, Abraham. There was only one problem. Abraham didn't have an heir yet and his wife's old and she's barren and she can't have kids. And, and what's going to happen? In verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. God desperately wants to restore this relationship that has been broken by sin. And what we see in the pages of Genesis and through the story of Abram is that God is going to enact part of that restoration through faith in Him. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him when He asks you in your business practice to do something that is uncomfortable? Will you trust Him when in your family relationships He is asking you, prompting you to move in a direction uh, that quite frankly you don't want to go in? Uh, will, you, will you trust Him when He's asking you maybe to move your home or to move your family? What will you do when you sense that God is operating in your life and pushing you in a direction maybe that is, is uncomfortable or uncertain? Will you trust Him? Abraham, uh, God says of Abraham's faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God was bringing a right relationship back between God and man through the person of Abraham. And that's good news. 
God graciously will come into the muck and the mire of our sinful and broken lives, and He says, I'm going to mend you, but you have to trust Me. Will you do it? But Abraham wasn't perfect. And so if I were to leave you with an impression, it is not, man, Abraham was awesome. No. I would rather you leave with a a perception that God is awesome. Because Abraham regularly is faithless. I mean, almost right away there in chapter 12, after God has, has given his, his great promises to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to make an heir for you, and don't worry about it. What does Abram do? He takes Lot. He says, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your father's uh, household behind you. And what, what does the next verse say? And, and he takes Lot. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with them. Wait a minute. Now perhaps you've looked at this story between Abram and Lot. Perhaps it is that right away, Abram, uh, just trying to be faithful to God, actually makes a mistake. That he begins to think, okay, there's going to be an heir. I bet Lot's my guy. And so he takes Lot. Come on, Lot. Hey, I got this promise from God. You're going to be the man. Come on. And so we begin to see this story unfold with Lot. And then, and then eventually there, there's Lot and there's Abram and everything is going well and so well in fact. Uh, God, is, God is continuing on to be faithful to Abram and His promise to him. And so much so uh, that, that everything is too successful. It's successful for Abram, and it's successful for Lot, and so they eventually get to the point uh, where they say, oh, well, we got to split up. And they get to the point where they t- it's time to split up, and Abram says, hey, you can go your way, and I'll go my way, and if you go right, I'll go left, and if you go left, I'll go right. No problem. Now, Lot's not dumb. Now, this is an agrarian society. Some of you may be familiar with uh, you know, the Southern California area. I, I learned this summer when we were out there that, that like a third of all produce is, is uh, grown in like Southern California. This is crazy. So you go through these fields where there's all kinds of green and they have uh, special water canals just so that the, the fields will get the water that they need. But as we were driving back through, you know what's just beyond the fields? Desert. It's dry. You get to Bakersfield and they have this giant thermometer. And it says like 100 and whatever it says. It's hot. And this is what happens to Abram and Lot. And Abraham may be thinking that Lot is his heir. Not, not completely trusting what it is that God has told them. Says, come on, Lot. And they get to the point, and what, is, what does Lot do? He says, I'll take that really watered, nice, green. I can probably grow something there. I'm going to take that. And he leaves, he leaves Abram with Bakersfield. He leaves him with the desert. 
And if you follow that story, Abram is constantly trying to go back and rescue Lot. Maybe still thinking that Lot's the one. And after every blunder, God begins to come back to Abram and says, hey, 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 now remember, remember my promise to you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. There's a famine in the land. What does Abram do? Now, God has just said, I'm going to provide for you. Everything's going to go fantastic. So there's a caravan. They're moving along. They're living where they're living. And there's a famine in the land. Now you would think that this this great promise from God, the one who has created the universe like water and stuff, that Abram would have the the sense, right, to be able to say, oh, I've got it. I know what's going to happen. I can stay right where I am and God's going to provide. But what does he do? He decides instead to go down into Egypt. I'm going to go do that instead. He ends up lying about his wife, calling him his sister. That's, not the, fir- that's, the, uh, that's the first time it happens. Later it's going to happen too. All of this to say that where Abraham has some level of success at bringing a mustard seed of trust before the Lord, Abraham isn't the most faithful one. God is. This story is about God and His promise and His plan and His faithfulness to His people. And so when you and I come before the Lord and He has prompted us, He has prompted us and we are saying, I I don't know what to do, but I'm willing to take the next step. When we say we're willing to take the next step, God is willing to say, I will be faithful to you. You see, Abraham didn't always get it right. He didn't always have the right action or the right response. And in the midst of all of it, God was faithful to Abram. And he comes into this covenant relationship, this contracted relationship with Abraham. And says, Abraham, I I want you to know that you're my person. So maybe some of you are out there thinking, "I, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't be faithful enough. You're right, you can't be. If you're sitting there thinking, every time the communion tray is passed, I'm too much of a sinner to take communion. Well, you got one part right. You are too much of a sinner. But you're not too much of a sinner that you couldn't take the elements. You know why we do communion? We do communion. We take these elements of bread and body every week so that we can be reminded not of how good we are or how bad we are, but how really, really faithful God is. That He is willing in places that we cannot possibly imagine to forgive us even though we're imperfect human beings. Hey, let's embrace at least one thing this morning. Sometimes we're going to be faithless. That's why we desperately need a faithful God. Abraham was not always faithful. 
but God was. And so the necessity of a testing of faith in Genesis 22 is there so that God knows, so that Abraham knows that he's serious. You see, God asks. Finally, Isaac comes around. Finally, God brings to, uh, to Abraham's life the heir, the linchpin of this promise that he has been giving to Abraham. Finally, it comes. There's this, this strapping little baby boy. Yes! It's happening! It's this miraculous event, right? This, this older woman is having a baby. I mean, when I say older, I don't mean like 50, 60, 70, like older. And God brings about a son for Abraham. It's the promise. Eight pounds, six ounces of promise right there, right? And then the next chapter, chapter 22. God comes to Abraham again. It's this necessity of a test. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abe, you, you know that promise I made you? Yeah. You know that covenant we've made? Mm-hmm. We're in relationship together. You believe in me. You trust in me. I've asked you to do things, and sometimes you've done them. Abraham, I've been faithful. And he asks Abraham to give up his promise. Give up the dream. Go sacrifice Isaac, he says. Isaac is probably a young teenager, junior high. And he takes Isaac up on a mountain. And he lays him on the altar. And he raises the knife. And it's at that moment the text tells us that God knew Abraham's heart. What is it that God is asking for you to sacrifice? You see, if you have already entered into this relationship with God, if you have sensed that God is asking you to take steps of faith, then you might find yourself in a a situation where He is pushing the boundary and He is saying, you know that business that I gave you? Will you sacrifice it so that I might do something great with it? No, no, God, but you gave this business to me. Like, you remember, like, uh, it happened this way and that. Will you sacrifice it for me? So that I, I will be known in it? So that I could be glorified on the other side? Now, maybe, maybe someone has, uh, God has given you a special someone. Uh, maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a, a significant relationship and, and, and you've tried over and over to, uh, to make sure that God is the one, uh, a part of this, and God has given you this person and now He's saying, will you, 
Will you sacrifice that for me? Will you put that relationship on the altar? And will you come uh, to the edge of the cliff? And will you be willing, will your heart be willing to jump as a testimony of your trust in me? You see, perhaps, perhaps it is that as God is restoring relationship with Him, that He is asking us, maybe more than anything else, to trust Him, to put our dreams on the altar, to put our finances on the altar, to put our relationships on the altar, to raise the knife of the good things that He has provided for us and say, would you, would you give it all back trusting that the Lord would resurrect it? You see, we have a choice this morning. We have a choice to engage God and say, I don't know all of the steps but as far as I understand, I will trust that the Lord can do anything. And I will continue to take the next steps in whatever way He prompts me to. If you can pray that, if you can say that to God, then you understand God's faithfulness. Let's pray. God, I love you. I pray, Father, that these words somewhere in this room are of value to you. That you're glorified in the opening of Scripture. And I pray, Father, for those situations, those scenarios. I pray that we'll take the next step, whatever those steps are. That we will find ourselves trusting in you. Thank you for, thank you. Thank you for sticking with us, even though we're sinners. Thank you for sticking with us, even though we mess up all the time. Thanks for sticking with us, even though we want to be Christian, but... Sometimes we fail at doing it. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, when the tests come and you're asking us to jump, help us to jump high. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name.